0: Everyone, you're listening to Ed Young Radio, Ed Pastor's Fellowship Church, and we want to thank you for listening with us. These next few minutes together can change your life, and you can always hear more by visiting edyoung.com. Enjoy the message. New stats are just in 80% of all marriages will deal with an affair. The Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 11, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. These two words in the Hebrew, very beautiful come from two words you might have heard before, Carmen Electra. (laughs) David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David, a man after God's own heart. David, a man who was on a roll. David, a man who had won every battle, a man who had established Jerusalem as the capital city, a man who had just written the Psalms, a man who was the toast of the town, a man whose face was plastered on every magazine cover in the Middle East, found himself one evening, literally one afternoon, on his rooftop. He should have been fighting. He should have been on the battlefield. But he wasn't. Who knows, maybe David was feeling prideful. The Bible says pride comes before a fall. Maybe he said, you know, there's no way I could sin. There's no way I could jump off the ledge and the edge of compromise into the abyss of promiscuity. Not me. Not me. David Had it going on. He was at the top of his game. He was at the top of his game militarily, politically, financially, a little prideful. And then maybe just maybe pride segued into boredom, the monotony of life. He was just dieseling through every single day, leading this nation. Sometimes when we're prideful and a little bored. We can be emotionally low. We're in a rut and we want a quick fix. And when we're vulnerable, when we're walking on the edge and the ledge of compromise, we're more susceptible to overspending, overeating, and oversexing. Because scripture records that David saw. A woman she was very beautiful then David had someone to find out about her David was prideful yes he was probably bored and then notice too he was filled with lust he moved from the middle of the roof to the edge and the ledge of lust if you know anything about ancient architecture you know that David's palace was in the middle of Jerusalem Picture in your mind's eye about two or three square miles of homes around the palace. If you've traveled to the Middle East, you know that homes have rooftops that are flat. So David could not see anything immoral or anything that would cause him to stumble or to fall here, but he was led to the ledge. He was pushed to the ledge. There was a a force A lust in his life, and and what is lust? Lust is a God-given desire that's gone haywire. I did a series on lust several years ago. It was very, very popular. People were hanging from the rafters here at Fellowship Church. Have you ever seen one of those bug zappers before? One of those contraptions with the giant blue light? You turn one on, and zillions of bugs will just fly right into the blue light. They had those bug eyes, and they just fly to their death. It seems like some of the more intelligent bugs would take a step back and go, hey, man, when my friends fly toward the blue light, they don't come back. (laughs) Look at all the dead bug carcasses beneath the blue light. I'm not going there. David had bug eyes for that biblical babe, Bathsheba. He was on the ledge of lust. The look was not what got him into trouble. We're gonna be attracted to members of the opposite sex. It was the second look, the third look then. Hey, go check her out for me. Find out who she is. David knew who she was, come on. Her husband Uriah the Hittite was one of David's top 30 soldiers, a part of his royal guard. He'd seen Bathsheba around, parties, get-togethers. He knew. What was David doing? What was this guy doing? A man after God's own heart, what was he doing walking on the edge and the ledge of lust? Women would bathe on the rooftops during the afternoon. Water was caught in cisterns. The water would be warmed by the afternoon sun, and they would take hot baths. And David was watching, and he knew where Bathsheba lived. He saw her. He lusted after her. And and now the plot clots because… He was contemplating this whole situation. And now look at verse four of 2 Samuel chapter 11. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. David slept in the wrong bed. David broke this covenant before God. David leaped off the ledge and the edge of morality. It's difficult to walk on the ledge and the edge because one misstep in my size 11 Kenneth Cole boots, (laughs) one change in the direction of the wind, maybe one time you're distracted and you look the wrong way, you can fall. And I can fall too. David and Bathsheba have sex together. Several days later, Bathsheba goes to Kroger's, buys a pregnancy test, and she text messages David these words, David, I'm pregnant, Bathsheba. Can you imagine David's reaction and response? What did David do? You would think he was a man after God's own heart. You would think he would confess and come clean. David, though, starts this intricate cover-up. He says to himself, you know what? I'll just call for Uriah and, and act like I need to talk to him in my palace, and then surely Uriah will go and make love to his wife. So that's what he did. Read verse 8, 2 Samuel chapter 11. David said to Uriah, and now Uriah had not seen his wife for weeks and weeks and weeks, go down to your house and wash your feet. That means have a good time with your spouse. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. Maybe it was a gift card from Victoria's Secret. I don't know. But (laughs) Uriah did not go and have sexual relations with Bathsheba. He was so loyal, he slept that night on David's doorstep. The next morning, David was on his second cup of espresso. He looks out, and there's Uriah asleep. He wakes him up. That next day, he gets Uriah drunk. Uriah. Go home and see your wife. Uriah slept again at David's doorstep. Finally, David does something what, that, that we all do. He does something that we all do that is, is very, very tempting. Once we sin and once we try to cover it up, as opposed to coming clean, what do we do? We try to cover it up and we end up covering it up and sinning more and more, and, and, our, and our sin becomes deeper and darker, and we do this free fall into the abyss of immorality. That's what David did, and he decides to have Uriah killed. Are you ready for that? Killed. So he gives Uriah this note, and Uriah takes the note to General Joab, and the note says, hey, General Joab, tell Uriah to go to the front lines, and then you back the troops off, and then he'll be killed. And sure enough, Joab figured everything out, and the troops backed off, Uriah was killed. Uriah's history now. David thinks, okay, man, I've gotten away with it. But he knew down deep, he knew in his heart of hearts that, yeah, Joab knew, but Joab was his general. He wouldn't confront David. And David knew that God knew, but he didn't do anything about it. He just, he just kept that, that guilt and that pain and that remorse he was imprisoned by it for about a year and maybe some of you right now can identify with that maybe some of you right now are carrying around guilt and pain and remorse because you have taken the leap off the ledge of moral compromise and you're sleeping in the wrong bed you're hooked up with someone who's not your spouse or maybe just maybe you're on the ledge you've not dove off, but, but, but you're cultivating that relationship. You're, you're comparing this person to your spouse, and the next step is to do physically what you've already done emotionally and mentally. David, a man after God's own heart, imprisoned by guilt and pain and remorse, carrying it around. He brings Bathsheba in to be his wife, And a year melts off the clock. David's spiritual advisor, Nathan, is talking to him one day. And David, of course, his background was a shepherd. He loved sheep and all this. And Nathan said, David, did you hear the story about the sheep? And David said, no. Uriah said, well, there was this really wealthy guy who had herds and herds of sheep. And one of his big-time clients had just flown in on a private jet. And, and, And David, this guy wanted to feed him lamb. But instead of using one of his sheep... He stole the lone sheep that a family had reared from a baby sheep and, and, and he killed that sheep and fed it to this wealthy guy. Took the family's pet. These poor people, can you believe it, David? Well, David goes on tilt. He's like, man, that, that rich guy needs to repay that poor guy four times over. David said, in fact, that... That rich guy needs to be killed. And then Nathan locked eyes with his king and said, David, you are that man. You are that man. And then David was hit with that Mack truck of guilt and remorse and pain. He faced the consequences of his sexual sin. Listen to what God said to him in 2 Samuel chapter 12. God had talked about everything he'd done in David's life. How I had blessed him militarily, politically, financially. David was probably a multi-billionaire. Here's what God said. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. I would have given you even more. David thought he was signing up for what? Pleasure. What did he get? pain. He thought he was signing up for real freedom. What did he get? Incarceration. He thought what he was doing was private. No one will ever know, but it went public. I had a close friend of mine tell me several days ago about his father who committed adultery on his mom. And he said, Ed, the strange thing about my father's sin has been the fact that he ended up marrying this third party. And he said, the three things that led him away from my mom, the three things that attracted him to this third party are the three things he hates about her today. So we think we're getting one thing when we commit adultery, when we get involved in sexual sin. Ultimately, we get the opposite of what we think we're getting. That's what's so sinister about it. A while back, Lisa and I went to the movies and we were watching these previews. And we were like, man, we've got to see that movie. Those previews are incredible. There were just four quick scenes, and it was just like action and romance. Whoa, we've got to see that. Well, the movie came out, we saw it, it was horrible. We're like, ah, oh, the previews, just about that much. Man, they were awesome, but the movie was painful to watch. <laughs> that's what Satan does with sex, that's what he does with adultery. That's what he does with premarital sex. He, he shows us just a few previews. Oh, oh it's incredible! Clandestine meetings, out of town business trips where you meet with the person and no one knows about it, hotel rooms and, and this and that, and eyes of, of, of ecstasy and all that. But that's just a little bit because the movie, friends, is painful. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know the pain. You know the agony of it. David faced the consequences of adultery. Psalm 51, here's what he says before God. I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Isn't that true about sexual sin? Sexual sin is always before us. Because sexual sin is unique. It's multifaceted and multidimensional. It's not just a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing, an emotional thing, a psychological thing. My sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, David said, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you're proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Here's something interesting about David. Study it. He prayed about everything in his life except his love life. And what messed him up, you guessed it, his love life. 2nd Samuel 11:27, the thing David had done displeased the Lord. 2nd Samuel 12:10, now therefore God said, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. The consequences of adultery It always hurts innocent bystanders. Well, it will not affect my kids. It will not affect my family. It will not affect my job. Read about the life of David. The sword never left his house. Why? Because he took a dive off of the ledge and the edge of faithfulness, and he jumped into unfaithfulness. He slept in the wrong bed. What happened to him? His son, Amnon, raped his half-sister, Tamar. David's son, Absalom, killed Amnon. Then Absalom tried to usurp his father from the throne and was killed in the process. David and Bathsheba's child died. Ultimately, David's kingdom was split. David and Bathsheba had another child named Solomon, the wealthiest man who's ever walked on planet Earth. Solomon had one problem. What was his problem? Women, immorality. Where did he learn that? Do you see the generational sin, the generational tendency there? It's amazing. David, facing the consequences of sin. Last time I told you, what if I jumped in my truck and robbed a bank? The cops would get me. Bad boy, bad boy. What are you going to do? Throw me in prison, I'd be in Huntsville. What if I hit my knees and said, Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me. Have mercy on me, I'm sorry. I was out of my mind when I robbed the bank. Would God forgive me? No doubt, just like that. But he's not going to break me out of prison. We face the consequences of sin. Some of the time, no, all of the time. David faced it. Many of us here are believers, and we love the verses that are so popular. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God is love. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. We love verses like that. We have t-shirts with them plastered on them. We've got bracelets and we've got plaques and crosses and that's so comforting and nice and that's great. But, we don't really like verses or we don't really promote verses like, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Or, the wages of sin is death. or. Hell is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. (laughs) You know, about this time of year, those lists are printed, what's hot and what's not, as we look into 2006, you know, what's in and what's out. Over the last decade or so, in Christianity, especially in Christian teaching, the wrath of God, the discipline of God, the holiness of God is out of style. Let's just talk about one side of God, the candy man God, because we live in candy land and God wants to just give me more and more candy. And if I have enough faith, I'm going to live this blessed life and it doesn't matter if I'm involved in sin, I got to look inside myself and think about God will forgive me and God just wants me to be happy. That's bogus. Well, Ed, my God, well, your God, man, that's whack. That's not the God of the Bible. God is not an angry God, but he is a God who will get angry. Well, man, you might be saying, I know a guy or a girl, and they jump from bed to bed, and they've not missed a paycheck. They, they break this sin of adultery in a spectacular way, Man. And they're living here and driving this and she has this kind of jewelry. I mean, what's the deal? God does not settle all accounts in 90 days or four or five months or four or five years, but he will settle those accounts. We will face the consequences of it. So we need to understand several things. First of all, when it comes to the ledge and the edge, we need to understand faithfulness Being faithful and committed to our spouse is all about God. Lisa and I have been married for almost 24 years now and we've been faithful to one another for 24 years. And if you ask me why, I could give you a lot of reasons and I'll talk about those in a little while, but the main reason is it's all about God. God loves me and loves Lisa so much. He is so faithful to us. He has such a purpose and a plan for our lives. We honor him in that way because of God. We're under the authority of God. And when I step out from underneath God's authority, what happens? I can get hammered by hell, H-E-L-L, pelted by problems, drenched in dysfunction. So if you want to roll the dice and sleep in the wrong bed, if you want to leap off of the ledge, if you want to get out from underneath the authority and the protection and the purpose and the plan of God, go for it. But I've got to tell you, biblically speaking, you will face consequences. You will experience the collateral damage that it causes. It's all about God. Something else I need to think about. Not only is it all about God, but I need to borrow some stuff from the future. I'm on the ledge and the edge, and I'm looking, and I'm considering this or that, jumping in the wrong bed, and I'm just walking on this ledge and and trying to balance myself, I need to think about something. I need to think about the future. I need to borrow some pain from the future. If I do that with that person, what am I signing up for? And that's one of the amazing things about the Bible. We can look at the Bible and even look in the past and borrow pain and pleasure from the past to help us make decisions in the present that will give us a great trajectory in the future. But borrow, some pain from the future. Also borrow some pain from the past. Then, borrow some pleasure from the past and borrow some pleasure from the future. Well, Ed, what are you talking about? I'm talking about this. If I live a life of faithfulness, if I back off the ledge and the edge of compromise and live here, what's going to happen? I'm going to have a purpose and a power. I'm gonna leave a legacy for my kids of faithfulness. My marriage will represent Christ's relationship and love that he has for the local church. I will have influence and leadership in this unit. That's the kind of pleasure that I'm signing up for if I do it God's way. So we look at the Bible, it gives us the opportunity to go back in the past and borrow pain and pleasure. Also, in my own life, and your own life, we can look at the future and borrow pain and pleasure. So borrow stuff, it's okay. Here's something else I want you to do because I want all of us to leave the ledge. And right now, I know, again, we've got some people on the ledge. You're, you're, you're thinking about your, your co-worker, you've done everything except sleep with her or sleep with him. You're thinking about that person around the neighborhood. You're thinking about that person in the health club. You're thinking about the person that you, you, you've known for a long, long time, and, 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 and you've cultivated the relationship, you, you've compared it, and now you're thinking about connecting sexually. You're on the ledge and the edge. Maybe you're channel surfing, and you're watching Hell's Box Office or Skinamax, and it's painting pictures of lust and immorality. In your life, it's time to leave the ledge. Well, Ed, how do I leave the ledge, man? How do I leave the ledge? I'm going to challenge you to write the Ten Commandments. Just take out a piece of paper and a pen this afternoon and write. I should say rewrite the Ten Commandments. Rewrite them. You're saying, Ed, are you telling me to tweak Scripture? No. Write your Ten Commandments with your spouse. If you're a single adult, write Ten Commandments down, the Ten Commandments of faithfulness. And these are the Ten Commandments that I wrote years ago that I have lived by, by God's grace and mercy and power. Because I don't want to walk on the ledge and the edge of compromise. I don't want to walk on the ledge and the edge of sexual sin because one misstep, one change in the direction of the wind and I'm into the abyss of promiscuity. The pathway of promiscuity always, always, always is predictable, always. Here's the Ten Commandments. I share them with you. Commandment number one, I shall have no other human relationships before Lisa, including the kids. Spouses stay, kids leave. Build your home around your marriage. Don't become a kid CEO household. Commandment two, remember your date night and keep it holy. Faithfully, Lisa and I protect and guard and schedule our date night. And it's more difficult today than it was 10 years ago. I wish I could tell you, well, now it's just easy. But scheduling and rearranging stuff and picking up kids and all that, it is worth it. It pays monstrous dividends. So let's water our own grass as opposed to looking and longing for other stuff. Because no matter how difficult it is to make your marriage work, the price tag is always greater when you end up in the wrong bed and try to do it again. Because your kingdom will get split one day, and these lawyers will come in to pick up the pieces. You see, lawyers don't understand the deal. Marriage is not a contract. I love lawyers, but I'm sorry, it's not a contract. Lawyers look at it from a humanistic perspective. Marriage is a covenant before God. That's a whole other message I'll talk about next time. Commandment three. Honor Lisa on anniversaries and special days so that you may live long in the land the Lord has given you. (laughs) I made the mistake one time of buying Lisa a bathrobe for her birthday. That was not a good idea. Don't do that, guys. (laughs) Commandment four I shall not take the covenant of marriage in vain by apathy. I've got to work you realize when someone commits adultery, they're taking God's name in vain because you've made a covenant before God? Well, man, I didn't mean it. You said it. Commandment five, I shall not ride in a car or eat in a restaurant alone with a member of the opposite sex. Number six, I shall not travel alone. And that's recommended by our directors here at Fellowship Church. And I don't travel alone. When I speak around the country, I always go with someone. Number seven, I shall not counsel a woman with the doors closed. Now, this was written a long time ago because I don't even do any counseling now. Zero. You don't want to come to me for counseling. I'm a horrible counselor. I'll be like, man, you are stupid. Build a bridge and get over it. I'm not... I'm not good. And also, too, if I ever visit you in the hospital, you know you're about to die. You don't want to see me coming if you're in the hospital. I do go to the hospital some, but it's not my favorite thing. You know I'm just playing with you. <laughs> Commandment eight, I shall not share the details of our marriage with others commandment 9 I shall not watch read or expose myself to sexually explicit shows books DVDs etc I shall remember the implications of breaking this covenant and commandment before God Look where I am Look how far away I am from the ledge I can't even tell if Carmen Electra is on the front row What if, in a couple of minutes, when I jump in my truck, I invited a woman to drive with me in my truck alone to my house? Have I sinned? Yes or no? Some are going, no, I haven't. I haven't sinned. That's stupid, but that's not a sin. Well, let's say I did that. Whoa. But look how far the ledge is. I'm not near the edge in the ledge. That's why we have to make decisions. Way back here, not here. The implications of breaking this, of sleeping in the wrong bed, quite frankly, scare me. I cannot even entertain the thought of Advent, You sit down with Lisa and tell her, honey, I've committed adultery. I've broken the covenant. I can't imagine the carnage, the pain, and the hurt that would cause her. Also, it, it, it scares me to have to tell you, Fellowship Church, that I've done that. And not only you, but also 800 to 1,000 churches that are connected with us worldwide. But the biggest issue is about God. I make no excuses, no bones about it. I fear the judgment and the wrath of God. I don't know what God would do to me. And I'm always skeptical about people who know how God will or will not act. I don't know, because God has gotten out of every box I've tried to put him in. Would he take me out? Would I have some kind of disease or sickness? I don't know, but I'm not going to roll those dice. I, I don't fear God in a, in a weird way. I fear him in a holy and love-driven way. So, have a love affair, a passionate love affair with the God of the universe. He desires that for you. And may that love affair segue into your marriage and into your faithfulness as we serve him and as we become history makers and covenant keepers.